Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen, church. Well, good morning again. Good to be with you. And I want to greet those in the Aspen Room who are worshiping there. By now you've heard uh, that uh, there's a light there at the end of the tunnel and the new worship center is coming. And uh, we love you. Glad that you're here and be a part of our church. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians again. We're talking about the church as a movement. You see that overflow of of the waterfall in the video. God is blessing the world. And you know what his strategy is? His strategy is to fill up his church with these gifts to the point where we're overflowing. And we're not just keeping them, but we're sloshing them out. And can you feel the gifts of God filling up the confidence, the forgiveness? We've talked about deliverance to the captives. We've, we've talked about all these gifts of God. And today we talk about spirit. And these gifts are gonna overflow. Second Corinthians chapter three In verses 7 through 17, hear now the word of the Lord. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open our hearts to receive your holy word, not a dead letter on the page, Lord, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, the living word of God, to grant us grace and life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, spirit is a funny word, isn't it? It can be used in a lot of different ways. When a person uh, is, is, uh, has spirit, we can say that about them. A child has spirit uh, when she's rambunctious and jumping over the pews in the church. You say, that's a, that's a spirited child, isn't it? A child has spirit. We can talk about team spirit or school spirit. I've got spirit, yes I do. I've got spirit, how about? Yeah. You know, when things uh, are good, spirits are high. When things aren't good, spirits can be lower. A city can have a spirit about it. For example, in my former home of Atlanta, spirits were really, really high on Sunday evening. 
Do you remember? For the first quarter, for the second quarter, all through halftime, whatever that was that happened on halftime, spirits were very high. Even the beginning of the third quarter, spirits were very, very high. And the, the commentators were saying, no team has ever overcome more than a 10-point deficit. Well, no doubt Julio Jones has secured his MVP. 28-3, to three, folks, it's all over now. Well, then the forces of evil. Oh. Sorry, I misread that. The new, the new England Patriots scored 31 unanswered points to win the first overtime victory in Super Bowl history. I'm glad no one's clapping for that. I love this church. You know. And spirits in Boston were very high. And spirits in Atlanta, well, we're back to normal. <laughs> See, there can be a spirit to a city, a spirit to a town. There can be a spirit to any group of people gathered together. There can be a spirit in a nation, a spirit of nationalism or a spirit of despair among a people. What dictates the spirit in here? Or I might say, who dictates the spirit in here as we gather, as we are the church? Who, who sets the stage? Who sets the paradigm? Who gets to choose the mood of this place as we are the church? Paul writes to this little embattled community in Corinth, this little church gathered in the middle of the city and says, where does your spirit come from? What sort of spirit do you find in this place among this group? There they are huddled together. I remember how F.B. Meyer described them gathered on a Friday night as they were accustomed to gather for Sabbath in the middle of the party scene of Corinth. You can imagine soldiers and sailors and slaves and prostitutes and priestesses of the temple of Venus all out in the streets on a Friday night. The Isthmian Games were held every three years there and they established the city as a betting place, a gambling city filled up with pumped up athletes and pumped up egos and and F.B. Meyer describes them this way. But within the little meeting place, all is hushed and still. Paul is speaking of things which eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. Who dictates the spirit in here? What is the church? There is a spirit to that gathering and it wasn't dictated by outside forces and it wasn't in reaction to outside forces. The church didn't wait to measure the political or cultural mood and then set itself up in counterbalance or in concert with the surrounding city. The more I study about this period, the more I see how the Corinthians lived under some of the most powerful governing regimes in human history. When a new emperor came in, the emperor would publish new decrees, new edicts. A pronouncement from Caesar was called a euangelion, a proclamation of good news. Was it always good news? No, it was not. Particularly for Christians, it often was not good news. But if the emperor says it's good news, you know what? It's good news. 
And then an angel came, do you remember? An angel came to a group of shepherds in the middle of the night when Jesus was born and said, behold, I bring you good news. I bring you a euangelion. Good news straight from heaven above. Paul writes to this little church in Corinth about their spirit. What dictates your spirit? Do you know how this church got started? Priscilla, a woman of faith, a believer, was living in Rome with her husband, Aquila, who was also a believer, and they were exiled, they were expelled. When the emperor Claudius expelled all the Jews and Christians from Rome, he emptied the Jewish quarter of Rome in one fell swoop. So these two show up in Corinth, and there they meet Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they look at each other, And someone smiles and says, let's start a church. Let's start a church right here. What do you have to lose? That's the overcoming spirit of God, do you see? What dictates your spirit? We must not allow the spirit of the age to dictate the spirit of the church. Amen? What is the spirit in here? In here we gather in the presence of Jesus. In here we rehearse the reality of our citizenship in the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where God is the king. The kingdom of God is where God is the king, where the agenda is his agenda, where the values are his values, where the mood, the tone, the culture, the spirit of the place all belong to him and him alone to command and dictate. Who gets to say what the spirit is inside this church? Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, There is freedom. Can we repeat that together as a church? Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? In the church, God dictates the tone. Among the people of God, God determines the attitude. God sets the culture. God governs the spirit of his people. Why? Because God is the spirit. We have the Holy Spirit among us. That is our spirit. And that spirit is not blown here or there, to or fro, by politics or economics or cultural forces outside the church. The spirit of the body of Christ is determined by the glory of the victories of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. That's our foundation. If Boston is happy because uh, the Patriots won the Super Bowl, you know, they're confused. If the CC Tigers are happy, if there's spirit because they defeat the University of Minnesota on the hockey rink, if, if, if you feel a boost of spirit when one thing goes right at work or an exam comes back at school with a higher grade than you expected, if you feel a boost of a spirit of all those things, then, then what effect of knowledge of the glory 
of the victories of Jesus Christ. What effect? What power? What meaning? You see, who gets to set the tone? Who dictates the mood inside the body of Christ, the church? Who gets that power? Who gets that authority? Do you see why a, a guy might go and write a book <laughs> called Happy Church? Pursuing radical joy as the people of God. Do you see why? This is not light stuff. This is important business. And the church will take its challenges again and again. I get to set the tone. No, no, no. No, no, no. Who gets to set the tone? This is important business. The world doesn't get to dictate the spirit of the church. In here, we belong to Jesus. In here, our spirit is the Holy Spirit. And with joy, we rehearse our citizenship in the kingdom. We celebrate the glory of the victories of Jesus. And it is precisely because of this. It is precisely because of this reality that we can bring spirit to the dejected. It is precisely in our commitment and connectedness to this reality that we are able to bring a new spirit to those downcast and oppressed and darkened and battered by the ever-shifting flows of the spirit of the age. We have a different spirit. We have something else entirely on offer, the spirit of the living God. Now, Paul is uh, continuing an argument from last week. Back in verse six, he said, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, here is a critical principle. What does it mean? Paul is talking about the word of God here, the Bible, the Old Testament, but the same will apply to the New Testament, in fact. The principle is this. The word of God does not travel alone. But like the sound of my voice is carried by my breath, the spirit of God accompanies the word of God. Without the spirit, the word kills. But with the spirit, the word gives life. Paul refers to the, the only moment God actually put his own finger on written text, which is when Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and Moses' face glowed from the presence of God. So Moses, out of concern, perhaps that the presence of God would destroy the sinful people around him, he wore a veil over his face so the shine of the glory of God would not, uh, would not be seen, would not damage the people he was shepherding. This resplendent glory is just from receiving the words, the letters. But Paul seems to say negative things about the letter. Look at verse six. The letter kills, he says. And then in verse seven, it's, a ministry that brings death. And in verse nine, the ministry that brought condemnation. Does Paul hate the Bible? That would be a surprising result. 
See, the Bible doesn't do harm, the letter doesn't do harm, but the Bible shows us where we are with God. And once we see how holy God is and how far from holy we are, it breaks our hearts. And suddenly we are aware of the precariousness of our situation that we are very truly on the edge of a great abyss. We are marching toward certain death if something doesn't change. Imagine, and this is uh, terrible to imagine, but it comes from one of my favorite old movies, The Man from Snowy River. But imagine uh, falling off a cliff in a storm at night and you pass out in the dark in the middle of a storm in the clouds and the rain and when you come to, when you, you come to consciousness again, you realize you're perched on a tiny ledge with no escape up or down or left or right. You're doomed unless the man from Snowy River comes and rescues you. da 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 and pulls you up and saves your life. The letter, without the spirit, only shows you your situation, your precarious human condition, but then comes the spirit. Verses seven and 10, seven to 10. Now if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. That might be hard to follow, but do you see what he's saying here? He's saying if the ministry that brought awareness of our condemnation, if that ministry was glorious, how much more glorious now the ministry of the Spirit that brings righteousness. Once the sun comes up, your flashlights and your torches are are useless. See, once the sun rises, you know, you can't even tell if the campfire is burning or not because of the the brightness of the sun. The stars that are so bright at night are hidden by the rising morning sun. Once there's a light of God that is surpassing the former glory, it fades, you see? And what has happened? Once the Son of God has come, once Jesus has come and fulfilled the law of God, once Jesus has answered and completed all righteousness, once Jesus has taken our sins to the cross, as Paul later states in the same letter, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, once God has laid the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that in him you and I could be put right with God, once all of that has happened, well, there's no glory to shine brighter than that. And the surpassing glory of the ministry of Jesus Christ and his spirit shines brighter. So there's a very real principle here I don't want you to miss. Paul goes on to explain in the next few verses that it is still possible to read the Bible and only get the the condemnation. It's still possible to read 
the Bible with a, a darkened mind, with a veil over your eyes, just like Moses wore a veil over his face. But when the Spirit comes, the Word comes to life. When you read the Bible, read it as God's Word and call on Jesus to send his Holy Spirit to help you receive it. See, until the Spirit of God opens your mind, it's just words on a page. Maybe you can remember the first time the scriptures came to life for you. Maybe, you, maybe you've even underlined that passage or that verse you were reading when all of a sudden the letters kind of lit on fire. Something happened. And it wasn't a new insight. It wasn't a new level of appreciation. It wasn't a new uh, understanding. It was that the dead letter became the living Word, and all of a sudden you were no longer reading the Bible, you were hearing from Jesus as he spoke his word into your life. You were no longer reading for information, you were listening for a relationship with the living God. This is a, a universal experience for believers, friends. J.I. Packer wrote of the work of the Spirit this way, he said, to the apostles, he testified by revealing and inspiring, as we saw. To the rest of us, down the ages, he testifies by illuminating, opening blinded eyes, restoring spiritual vision, enabling sinners to see that the gospel is indeed God's truth and scripture is indeed God's word and Christ is indeed God's son. This is what it means to, to lift the veil, to lift the veil. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Does the Bible seem dead? Turn to the Lord, turn to the Lord. But the larger theme is this. Paul is talking about a movement here. The people, he writes, the church there in Corinth where he loves so dearly, they'd been on a journey, you see. First, they, they lived their lives as Corinthians, a kind of free-for-all, pleasure-seeking lifestyle where they tried to find their meaning or success or happiness wherever it could be secured, whatever was at hand. And then they got a hold of God's word. Or we should say God's word got a hold of them. And suddenly they understood a little bit more. Suddenly they were aware, suddenly the lingering sense of dissatisfaction they experienced in the common Corinthian life had some meaning to it. Of course I'm not happy, they thought. Of course I'm not at peace. I'm not at peace with God. And this letter kills, this information crushes the spirit, but then came the joy of the gospel. 
They were dejected to know that they were far from God, but then came the joy of the gospel. The good news declared, Jesus has come, Jesus has won the victory, and Jesus has sent his spirit to dwell in you. And will not the ministry of the spirit be even more glorious? And so the church was born And who dictates the mood now? Who dictates the spirit of the people now? Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because they were dejected, they received spirit from God. Do you see? And so now this little community, when they gathered, the mood was not dictated by the edicts of Rome. The tone was not dictated or governed by the rise of wealth in the markets. Or the culture was not defined by who won the game and who lost the game. The spirit of the world did not dictate the spirit of the church. And because that was so, because that was true, verse 12, therefore, because we have such a hope We are very bold. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, we are very bold. We are very bold. No, we're not. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Because our spirit is not the spirit of the world, but our spirit is the spirit of the living God. And because we have such a hope, we can be a witness. We we can be a testimony. We can be a bold proclamation that there is another spirit at work. There's another spirit at work than the spirit of the world. If all we have is our spirit, if all we have is community spirit, if all we have is our, our team spirit here, first pres team spirit, then do you know we have nothing to offer the world? That's no different than anything else, than any other offer that's out there. But friends, that's not the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church has the spirit of the living God. The church has the spirit abiding in it. And because of that, we can be bold. We can be very bold to say to those whose spirits are are low, to say to those whose spirits are high, to say to any whose spirits depend and lean on uh, the, the turning of tides and the shifting of winds, we can say with boldness, there is another spirit. There is another spirit. Maybe you haven't met him, but the spirit of the living God is here. The spirit of the living God is active. The spirit of the living Christ. And you can found your life on him. Turn and lift the veil and see. Lord, we pray that you would give us courage as our eyes open every morning to take in the first breath and to exhale, saying thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending your spirit 
to give me life. I found my life on you. I ground my spirit on your spirit. Lord, in you, there is such glory. Lord, I pray that you would dictate the mood of our church, dictate the mood of every believer that we can go out into the world knowing that who we are is founded not on the twists and turns of the things that happen around us in the world and in our lives. Who we are is founded in you and the victories met in Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.